Hey, this is Richard Brooke. If you want to learn the six and seven figure science to success, significantly increase your revenue and learn how to successfully build professional relationships, you might want to be listening to the Sell Without Selling podcast with my good friend, Stacey O'Byrne. Check it out. You're going to love it. If you're ready to get out of your own way to follow the seven figure science of success, then welcome to Sell Without Selling. Tune in with renowned international speaker Stacey O'Byrne as she shows you how mastering relationships, achieving the proper mindset, and attaining the necessary motivation will catapult you away from failure and onto your journey to greatness. And now, here is your host, Stacey O'Byrne. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Sell Without Selling. I'm your host, Stacey O'Byrne, and I believe that learning the art and the science of how to sell without selling is the only way to achieve high six and seven figure success. I'm really excited to get into today's episode and really quick, if you're a business owner, entrepreneur, or sales professional, and you haven't hit the level of success that you've wanted or needed, or if you're stuck and needing a pivot in your business and your success, or maybe you just want more and you understand the importance of having a coach to help identify the blind spots, increase accountability, and help with success strategies to take you, your business, your income, and your success to the next level. If this sounds like something for you, then head over to pivotpointadvantage.com slash I want success. That's pivotpointadvantage.com slash I want success. There's a quick application there that will lead to a personal phone call with me to see if we're a great fit for each other. All right, let's do this. Today I'm speaking with a really good friend of mine, Richard Bliss Brooke. Richard Bliss Brooke went from chicken chopper to CEO, according to Success Magazine, in its 1992 cover story, an issue that outsold every issue in the 100-year history of the magazine. He was only 36 years old when Success Magazine featured his journey from earning $3.05 an hour cutting chickens for foster farms to creating millionaires from his sales training and performance coaching. Had it not been for an obscure management decision by Foster Farms, they would not promote anyone who did not have a college degree. Richard would have recently retired from a 40-year career at the processing plant. Instead, he pivoted and built a nationwide sales organization of 30,000 people by the time he was 28 and went on to build two global companies over the next 35 years. As a keynote speaker, he has he wowed audiences of over 10,000 and shared the stage with Tony Robbins, Sir Richard Branson, Bob Proctor, John Maxwell, and many others. As an author, he has written three books and hundreds of articles and blogs. He has been acknowledged for his ontological coaching and his book, Mock 2, by Gail Sayers, John Elway, Harvey McKay, Les Brown, Jack Canfield, and thousand others. To quote Richard, I am a classic case of failing forward. I have always looked for the seed of equal or greater benefit and adversity as suggested by Dr. Napoleon Hill. He is 
a passionate believer in self-motivation. With it, nothing else really matters. With it, nothing else really works. Today, Richard runs his three multi-million dollar companies from his home on the island of Lanai, Hawaii, which I'm very jealous of. He loves to golf, fly helicopters, scuba dive boat, ATV, hike, paddleboard, and bask in the good life with his wife, Kimmy, stepdaughter Haley, and Marley, the multi-poo. He <laughs> values fun, leadership, adventure, contribution, and friendship. The theme of his life is to inspire others to play full out. Okay, let's do this. Richard, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you, Stacy. It's an honor to be here. Oh, it's an honor to have you on the show. I have to tell you, reading all your credentials and everything just got me so excited because I really know what our listeners are in for. I had the pleasure of talking with you uh, prior to our show and, you know, your journey is an, an amazing journey. You, you really have a lot to offer and I'm blessed to have you here. Thank you. So I made the comment about being jealous about Hawaii because, you know, I, I, I go there frequently and haven't been able to since COVID and I'm really jealous. <laughs> well, so you how, can come now. I Doors know. are open. I know, I know. How, how's, how's, how's the environment over there been with COVID and everything? I know that you're on a more laid back island, but... Yeah, I think we're probably in the best place in the world, uh, given what's gone on. There's only 3,000 people that live on Lanai, and they're all kind of family. Mm -hmm. And um, so we've had a few cases, but there's no cases here now, haven't been any in months. And, you know, we followed the Maui County restrictions and went about our business golfing yeah. and surfing and <laughs> doing what people do in Hawaii. I spend a lot of my time right here on Zoom, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I uh, I can definitely relate. I have to tell you that uh, it's a good place to be and Zoom has really made it very effective and efficient and business has been a little different over the course of the past year. What, I, what I'd really like to dive into, because I really want our, our listeners to really get to know you. You know, I talked to, uh, to, to Les, you, you know, Les and I are friends, and I told him that, that I was talking with you. He told me to tell you hi. And um, really quick, what, what I'd love to do is I'd love to dive into, into your, your experience as a business owner, because you've played a pretty big game. And not only have you played a pretty big game, but you started out like most don't. And what I mean by that is you had a very stable job, like a lot of people in America right now, like a lot of people over the world. And then COVID hit and a lot of people are finding themselves very unstable and they don't really know what's gonna happen next. For some people, they were furloughed. For some people, they were downsized. For some people, they were laid off. And for some people, they have no idea what the future holds. For you, you were clear on what the future held and you said, that's not my future. So what I'd like for people to see is what happens in the mind of someone who takes control of their life and says, that's it. If it's gonna happen, it's up to me. And you really made it happen. So I'd like to turn it over to you so that you can share your journey and kind of what went on inside your head through it. Yeah, well, 
Um, I think maybe something that helped me as a kid. I, I think I had some things that were disadvantages as a kid, but I grew up in quite a bit of solitude. My parents were not the, you know, always present, always taking care of me present uh, parents. They were kind of not present most of the time. And I had a sister, but she wasn't around. She went to private school. Uh, and I, you know, just went to public school and I grew up on a cattle ranch. So I just grew up with a lot of, I think, self-reliance. And that's not something I really thought about. I, I just kind of have, have always had it in my DNA that if something's going to happen, if I'm going to do something, I got to figure it out myself and I got to do the heavy lifting. Nobody else is going to do it for me. And I've never, I just, I've never had the idea that the government is going to do something for me or, you know, that my company should do something for me or my friends or my family. I, I don't know. I just never, those thoughts just never crossed my mind. Mm -hmm. And so when I got kind of dropped into business, um, the sink or swim environment, I mean, I didn't like it and it didn't, didn't work very well initially because I sank, but that's an environment that I didn't really complain about. Mm -hmm. And so eventually I swam and, you know, <laughs> and there's probably a lot of kids here, you know, people here that as kids, their parents taught them how to swim by throwing them in the pool. You know, they made sure you didn't drown, but they did kind of throw you in the pool. And so that was, you know, how I got entered into business. It was a, it was a big pivot. I thought I was going to spend my whole life at Foster Farms. I actually liked it there. Mm -hmm. And I had a clear vision for the next 40 years. And the people that were there for 25, 30, 40 years retiring when I was just starting were my role models and my idols. And I didn't have any experience in business at all. I never, ever had the thought of going into sales or business or anything like that. If I hadn't worked at Foster Farms, I you know, would have ended up probably like, I don't know, back on the farm, ranching, construction, something like that. Mm -hmm. But I just happened to be, you know, I had a friend who was in a business and he was trying to get me to look at the business and I wasn't interested. But then when Foster Farms, you know, killed my, my future by, they created this policy company-wide that you couldn't advance any further than you already were. And I was already at this like second level of management. Um, and I was making three bucks an hour. That was a long time ago. Mm -hmm. um, but you couldn't go any further without a four-year college degree. And I cheated to get out of high school. <laughs> so that wasn't going to happen for me. I hated school. And so, you know, this buddy of mine said, hey, what about this? What I, I don't know, sales, business, I don't know anything about that. But, you know, another thing that I, quality that I had that has served me well is curiosity. I've always been curious. So I may have the attitude, no, I don't want to do that. That's not for me. That's not a fit. But that doesn't keep me from looking. Mm -hmm. And so I looked and I didn't like it. It didn't make any sense to me, scared me, all those things. But guess what? I looked again. And I looked again. I looked again. I actually looked at his business opportunity almost every day for three weeks. Mm -hmm. 
went to a couple of meetings that were out of town where I was looking at it. And did I want to be in sales and business? Nope, I didn't. Um, what had me keep looking? Well, curiosity was part of it. And part of it was there was a group of people there that showed a keen interest in me. And I didn't realize it at the time. I was not conscious to any of it. But in hindsight, they asked me a lot of questions about me. What did I like? What was I interested in? What bothered me? What was I good at? What did I see myself doing in the future? What kind of life did I want to have? A lot of questions like that, which I just considered casual interest. Mm -hmm. But I was at the age of 22. Nobody had ever asked me any of those questions. My parents never asked me those questions. Mm -hmm. Nobody at school ever asked me those questions. Nobody at Foster Farms ever asked me those questions. Recognition at Foster Farms sounded like this. Somebody that you would want recognition for would walk by and they would say something like, you, Brooke? <laughs> and I would say, yeah. That's as far as recognition went at Foster Farms. <laughs> <laughs> so I was attracted not to the business and not to sales, but I was attracted to these people. And, and that's what drew me into you know, jumping in the pond and figuring out how to swim, which took me a couple of years. Mm -hmm. I sucked a lot of water for two years. Okay. So, so what you did when you, when you jumped out of the, 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 the false security of employment, did you start uh, a brick and mortar business? Did you get into direct sales? What was your journey in the beginning? Yeah, it would be called direct sales, no brick and mortar, no place of business. Mm -hmm. But oddly, because that was so weirdly foreign to me, mm -hmm. that the first thing I did, I did it with a few other people who it was also foreign to, we created a brick and mortar, we created an office, even though we didn't need one, mm -hmm. we created one because you know, basically that what they were telling us was, well, uh, okay, well, you just get up in the morning and you, you go talk to people and sell this concept and sell this product. And, you know, I just didn't know how to do that. What I knew how to do was go to work in the morning. But in direct selling, there's no place to go. <laughs> <laughs> so I needed a place to go. So me and three or four other guys that were doing this, we just leased an office. That's so awesome. we had a place to go. Now mm -hmm. it made sense to us. We went to the office, we picked up the telephone and we started calling people. <laughs> we could have picked up the telephone from home, but that, that would have been sense. too weird. <laughs> so we leased an audit office and got some desks and some mm -hmm. chairs and some telephones and now mm -hmm. we're in business. And so, then of course, you know, about two years later, we figured out we don't need an office. That's a waste of time and money. And um, what happens if you want to, you know, go to a different town and work, you take your office with you. And so we got rid of it and we just became normal. Mm -hmm. Direct sellers is what it was called back then. Today, it might be better known as network marketing, mm -hmm. um, which is not the easiest thing in the world to sell because it's probably the, the only product. Let's say the product you're selling is opportunity. 
it's probably the only product on the planet that every prospect has already decided they're never, ever, ever going to buy. Yeah, I agree. So if you're in network marketing, direct selling, yes, you have a product, but you're only going to earn so much money selling that product. Maybe you make $500 a month selling the product. If you want to make $5,000 a month, you got to build a sales team, which means you have to recruit people into the business, which means you have to show them a financial option that inspires them to want to sell the product with you. Mm -hmm. And so now basically what you're selling is network marketing or MLM or direct selling, or as most people would consider it a pyramid scheme. Mm -hmm. And if, so if you go ask a hundred people, and by the way, no, nobody knows what any of those things are really. They think they do, but they don't. The only way people really figured out what I was selling is if I said, well, you know, it's kind of like Amway. Then they go, oh, I know exactly what you're selling. Mm -hmm. And they weren't buying. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're waiting for you to drag out the whiteboard at the dinner table. <laughs> yeah, they were, which, um, yeah. And so, you know, Stacy, I'm just fascinated with, with your show and your journey, because as much as the guys and gals that raised me in direct selling were extraordinary personal development people, they were quite Neanderthal in their selling approach. One of the books that we were encouraged, coerced, and manipulated to read over and over again I don't even know if it's in print, it's probably been burned by every library on the planet. It's called Winning Through Intimidation by Robert Ringer. Yeah. <laughs> you remember that book? I do remember that yeah. book, yes. So I was raised in selling to basically manipulate and intimidate people into buying. And, you know, Jay Douglas Edwards, um, you know, closing the sale, whatever their objection was, I had the answer to manipulate them and intimidate them into admitting that their objection was not only wrong, but stupid. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they probably needed to wake up, smell the roses, get on board and give up that position and buy my product and join my business. And I was actually pretty good after four, five, six years of intimidating and manipulating people. You might call it influence, um, call it whatever you want. You, it, it's basically um, somebody doesn't want to buy. And my job is to make them want to buy. I don't even need to make them want to buy. I don't care if they want to buy. My job is to just make them buy, <laughs> even if they don't want to buy. And I was actually became very successful doing that, but what I realized was, you know, in the business I was in, making a sale one time doesn't really benefit you. The only thing that benefits you is if you can make a sale, bring a customer on board, customer falls in love with you and your product such that the customer buys the product for life. Mm -hmm. Because if the customer doesn't buy, buy the product over and over again every month, then you don't have that residual income, that lifetime income. And the real advantage of network marketing economically as a business model is you can build a, an organization of customers and salespeople one time. Mm -hmm. Maybe it takes you two years, four years, 14 years, 
But if you have the right product, you get paid forever. Mm -hmm. And so what I learned was my manipulative influence, intimidating way of selling, always having all the right answers and basically making everyone wrong in order to get them to buy. People would buy the product, but they wouldn't buy me. They weren't connected to me. They didn't trust me. They didn't like me. They didn't admire me. They, they were intimidated by me, which that can look like admiration sometimes because people will defer to you if they're intimidated. They'll, they'll move. If your energy is more powerful than theirs, they'll sort of accommodate you. Mm -hmm. And that might look like admiration and respect, but it's really not. It's just intimidation influence. Yeah. And so what I realized is I could get people on my product and I could get people on my team, but they wouldn't stay. And the reason they wouldn't stay is I was an old school seller and that actually doesn't fit in network marketing. You know, if you're selling, I don't know, real estate or cars or big ticket items, you can probably get away with selling people once and you don't have to sell them again. You don't have to get a referral. But in network marketing, if, if you don't have people stick with you as a customer or as part of your sales team for decades, then you're, you're wasting the opportunity. And so I had to totally pivot, totally change, reinvent myself. I had to figure out how do I make selling secondary and I make relationship building primary. Hmm. And that's, I mean, that was a process that took a few years, mm -hmm. if not a decade, but that's the journey I've been on for the last 30 years. I love it. You know, I've got so many notes here that I want to go back on because you're dropping nuggets left and right. And I want to make sure that our listeners grab them and really understand how to take a bite out of it and ingest it. So, so. First, I want to talk about you had said when you first started out, it didn't work so well to quote you, you sucked a lot of water. <laughs> so, so can you, can you talk about that? Because for me, you know, starting business, starting business is never what people think it is. You know, you see, you see uh, the line A to Z and and you think I'm just going to set a plan and go from there. And reality is it's probably the most craziest journey that has most incredible fulfillment on it, as long as you allow yourself to embrace it. And it's never as you plan. And it gives us so much more than what we set out to embark on, as long as we allow ourselves to embrace the lessons. So for me, some of my greatest successes came from my biggest failures, because it really built me into who I was today. So can you talk about what the sucking of water did for you? Yeah, well, I've had some successes in the last 45 years. Mm -hmm. I don't know how many, 10, 20, 50, 100. I've had 10 times more failures than I've had successes. And the interesting thing about the successes is when they come, so you do the action, whatever it is, 
you know, in sales, it's probably new business development, prospecting, mm -hmm. talking to people. And you talk to people and talk to people and talk to people and talk to people. And, you know, one of the things you and I both teach, Stacy, is to, you know, sharpen your axe. So after every conversation where somebody says no, the, you know, what you want to do is like debrief that conversation. Okay, so how did I enter that conversation attitude-wise? What was their body language? What was their energy? What, what did I, what do I remember about how they were being in the space? What was my first question? What was their body language response? What was their verbal response? And you just sort of walk through the whole conversation looking for clues about, hmm, well, maybe I was just a little over anxious there, or maybe I was a little defensive there, or maybe I was a little too assertive there, or maybe I was slow on the uptake and maybe I got distracted and I didn't hear them say something and say, okay, and you know, next time I'm gonna maybe ask a few more questions or I'm gonna hone down my energy a little bit, right? Whatever. Mm -hmm. So just like you said, in the failure is where you learn. Now, and you do that by paying attention and debriefing, mm -hmm. whether you do it with somebody else or you do it, just do it with yourself. Mm -hmm. Now in the successes, so one of my big successes, Stacy, was um, a guy called me and wanted more product. And, you know, I, I can tell a long story about this, but in essence, I went and gave, you know, delivered him another bottle of product and we had lunch and, you know, he asked me, is there any money in this product? And I said, yeah, sure. And so I showed him the same thing I had showed shown, uh, I don't know, probably at that point, it's about two and a half years in, I probably had shown it to three, four, 500 people one-on-one -on -one mm -hmm. and hundreds and hundreds in groups. And his name was Jerry. And Jerry looked at what I put on the yellow pad, just this mess of stuff on a yellow pad at a <laughs> village inn in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. And Jerry said, I can do that. And I said to myself, you can. I haven't found anybody yet that can do it. <laughs> I can't do it. What the heck makes you think you can do it? Mm -hmm. That's what I all said to myself. And he said, what do I do? And I said, uh, well, you get all your friends over to your house next Thursday and I'll come back and talk to them. Now, how many times had I told people that? Mm -hmm. Hundreds. Mm -hmm. Well, I went back to Jerry's house on Thursday night and he had 40 people in his basement and Jerry made me a hundred thousand dollars in the next 12 months. Nice. That was 1979. That's pretty good money. Yeah. That's really so good money back then. What did I learn from Jerry? Nothing. <laughs> right. It was just, I showed him the same thing I showed everybody else. Mm -hmm. What was there to do debrief and do better with Jerry? Nothing. Everything I did worked. Now, was that me or was that Jerry? Pretty sure it was Jerry. So, you know, the, the, um, the learning is all in the failure. And, you know, you said something so profound. Not sure everybody picked up on it, but um, you got to learn to embrace the struggle. You got to learn to embrace the setbacks, the failures, 
And most people's orientation to people saying no, for example, is that, well, they don't want the prospect to say no. They want the prospect to say yes. And, and they want that particular prospect to say yes. And so what they don't realize is, well, the name of the game in sales, any kind of sales, any kind of business is, most people are not going to, right? Most people are gonna say no. And yet we as salespeople, we, we don't like that. We don't expect that. We expect most people to say yes. In fact, if most people don't say yes, we're really unhappy and we're in a funk, right? We think there's something wrong with us or something wrong with our product. There's something wrong with everything, right? Something's definitely something wrong with the prospect if they don't say yes. <laughs> and so the people that have that attitude, they get destroyed in sales. Why? Absolutely. Because the fact is most people are going to say no. Mm -hmm. And so you don't need that person. This is a perspective that can give you a breakthrough, salespeople. Mm -hmm. You don't need that person to say yes. And to the degree you think you need that person in this moment to say yes, you'll get crushed because mm -hmm. they're always going to disappoint you. You don't need that person to say yes. You need a person to say yes. Which one? What do you care? The same money. Mm -hmm right? Everybody's money spends the same. So instead of getting all hung up on that person, the person you're talking to right now saying yes, uh, how about you just talk to enough people so mm -hmm. that the people who are ready, what I call leaning against the door, how about you just go open doors and find out who's leaning against the door. And when you open a door and a guy like Jerry Schaub is leaning against the door, he was actually kicking on the door. What do you need to do that's so brilliant? Nothing. Get out of the way. Yeah. yeah. Right? Just let it happen. So, you know, I guess what I what helped me suck all that water, Stacy, is I was just raised, um, you know, observing a lot of nature. I got a lot of my life lessons from nature. And mm -hmm. when you watch nature, and you watch how nature creates, you know, the strong survive, yeah. what the nature, what nature does to weak, it's pretty relentless. It's pretty unforgiving. Nature doesn't have a strong conscious, conscience. It doesn't have sympathy. Sympathy doesn't exist in nature. And so I would just sort of raised with that as an expectation, like, Okay, if I don't make it, what? You think people are going to send me cards and letters and flowers and people are going to come and like, you know, mourn over my failure in business? Is anybody going to care if I don't make it? No, no one's going to care. In fact, the people who are doing it with me that were, you know, even helping me and partnering, you know, if I quit, if I failed, you know, they'd mourn me for about a day and then they'd just move on. Yeah. And so I realized that if I was going to make it, I had to suck it up, buttercup. I had to put my big boy pants on yeah. and I had to figure this out. And I learned from Napoleon Hill, who I read over and over and over and over again with the seed of every adversity comes the equal, uh, uh, yeah. equal or greater benefit. 
but you gotta you gotta look for the seed and you gotta water the seed and so i just conditioned myself when i had a setback when i had a failure when i had a rejection even immersed in the whole two years of failing <laughs> my <laughs> attitude was i'm gonna learn from this and so when then I did move beyond struggling and failure and I kind of got caught a wave. So Jerry helped me catch a wave. I got up on top of mm -hmm. life and business instead of getting pummeled by the wave, I was riding the wave. But then when I was riding the wave, how do you catch a bigger wave and a bigger wave? Well, because I allowed myself to learn from that adversity, from those setbacks, from that failure, because I embraced it, I appreciated it. It's not that I enjoyed it. I didn't enjoy it. Mm. I respected it. Yeah. And I paid attention to it. So when I got on top of the wave now, well, now one of the things that happens when you're on top of the wave is you're not just selling a product. You're not just recruiting people for your team, no mm. matter what you're doing, right? right. You, you got to, even if you have a brick and mortar business or if you're a realtor, you're a car salesman, you know, part of it is the team that you have around you. Um, you're coaching. Yeah. And, you know, I think motivational coaching is one of the highest arts. And when you're coaching, if you haven't had the experiences that people are going through and you haven't moved successfully through them, mm -hmm. you're pretty weak as a coach. You know, if everybody said yes to you, and success was easy for you. You're one of those unicorns, you know, about one out of a hundred or one out of a thousand people, you know, whatever they get thrown into, they just kill it. Right. 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 But the problem is when you interview those people and you ask them, so how'd you do it? They just said, well, I called uh, four of my friends and they all bought the product and then they called four of their friends and everybody got in and now I make seven figures a year and I'm the most famous person you've ever met. Well, yeah, but how did you do it? Uh, well, I, I, I just did it. Mm -hmm. See, that person is not very useful right? to, to the 99% of us that are out here drowning, mm -hmm. right? We don't need to hear, oh, I just did it. It just happened because I'm so cool. Mm -hmm. We need a lifeline and that lifeline is empathy, character, experience yeah. that sounds like I know exactly what it feels like to be in the kind of funk you're in. Hmm. And here's how you can grind your way out of it. Here's how you can claw your way out of it. And the way I'm going to teach you to do it is I'm just going to tell you my story. Yeah. Yeah. And my story can't be, uh, well, I don't know. I've never been where you're at. You must be some kind of loser. And, you know, <laughs> So, so Richard, I want to unwind a little bit because you actually laid out the, the carpet, or I'm going to say the forest floor, uh, for me to touch a couple more points. You know, you had eloquently delivered a metaphor regarding nature and how nature is very unkind in their behavior as it applies to the weak, right? Beautiful, beautiful metaphor. It actually touches two points that I wanted to bring forward. First, that you were raised to learn how to be self-reliant. 
and and the the second about you had said you realized because you were self-reliant you had to do the heavy lifting i think those are two key factors that so many people that that venture into any type of business it doesn't matter if it's direct sales home-based business solopreneur brick or mortar corporation realtor financial advisor doesn't matter what it is you're stepping in to do there's this foundation that's necessary now the the self-reliance is necessary in order to trust yourself to step into doing the heavy lifting however that heavy lifting is a key factor so many miss so can you dive a little bit deeper on both those points for our listeners yeah, well, you know, heavy lifting is probably not the right word picture to impart. Um, let me shift it around a little bit and say, um, let's just do the work. Yeah, exactly. Right? That's how I took it. And, you know, some people think work is a four letter word. Okay. It I is W O R K. <laughs> yeah, it is a four letter word. So it's play. Um, so here's the thing about work. If you don't like the work, then it's work, negative connotation. Yeah. If you like the work, then it could be work, positive connotation. Mm -hmm. Heavy lifting infers negative connotation. So what if the work was fun? Mm -hmm. What if the work was easy? And so here's something that I discovered that made such a huge difference. Uh, and it was all motivation. So I wrote a book in 1995 called Mach 2, you know, how to get yourself and keep yourself motivated for life. Because I found that the secret to um, success, and this deviates a little bit from selling without, sell without selling, which we, we can come back to, but the secret to success was motivation, not desire. I was kind of raised early on thinking that if I wanted something bad enough, that I would somehow manifest it. And what I found is that wasn't true at all. I wanted success really, really bad. And I wasn't manifesting anything like success. And then, you know, somebody pointed out, well, if desire mattered, everybody would be skinny and rich, right? Right. <laughs> So, you know, you know, go ask people, what's the top three things you want? All right? And probably skinny and rich is going to be at least in the top five, but that doesn't seem to matter. Mm -hmm. So what does matter? Well, motivation matters. And I got this from a coach and, and I spent a lot of time with him and he just gave me this great breakthrough that motivation is different than desire. Motivation is a conversation. It starts with a conversation, a story that we tell ourselves and we actually believe that is, if I could simplify it, gives us a green light to do the work. Let's say the work doesn't have any connotation. It's not negative or, or positive, it's neutral. Mm -hmm. But it gives us the green light to do the work. And one of the stories that I found was missing for so many people was they didn't actually believe that the work was worth it. Now, what do I mean by that? 
Well, I'll, I, I'll use a network marketing example and any, everybody listening can convert it to how, whatever business you're in, but a network marketing, network marketing is pretty much a delayed income gratification opportunity. You do a lot of work in the beginning to get that ball rolling uphill. And if you stop for a second, the ball kind of turns around, comes down after you, chases you around, kills you, right? You can't stop mm-hmm. until you get the ball over the hill. And what's the hill? Well, it's actually the size of your team. When you get your, the size of your team, including all your customers, different for every opportunity. But you know, generally, I found somewhere around two, three, four hundred 400 people active customers, mm-hmm. then it kind of takes on a life of its own, right? And so that's kind of cresting the hill. But on the way up the hill, uh, it has a tendency to just uh, like evaporate if you take your eye off the ball, if you mm-hmm. stop working, if you stop leading. And so what you have to believe to work intensely to get your ball over the hill is you have to believe the payoffs on the other side of the hill are worth it. <laughs> and so that all sounds very intellectual. It makes sense. Great. But here's the demonstration. So here's one of the things in network marketing and, you know, it's the same in real estate. I actually got this training from real estate, but it's the same in cars, mortgages, doesn't matter what you're promoting. You know, if you're an investment advisor, you know, how big a business you're going to build depends on, how consistently you make connections with people that you don't know. Mm-hmm. You get to know those people. You build a relationship with those people. At some appropriate time, you ask them to take a look at what you're doing, what you're selling, basically business development, how mm-hmm. consistently you do that. So a model for network marketing, and if I was coaching car salesmen and real estate people, it'd probably be pretty much the same is just have one conversation a day. A conversation. That'd be, Stacey, where I ask you, hey, would you take a look at my product or would you listen to my story? And for it to be a conversation, you have to say yes, no, maybe, get lost, don't ever call me again. That's a conversation. Yes. If you don't respond, it's not a conversation. So one conversation a day with somebody new. Mm-hmm. Now, here's what I tell people. If you had one conversation a day, let's say for 90 days, every day, mm-hmm. one a day for 90 days, I promise you, you would have talked to more new business development people, not the 99% of the people you're competing with in your opportunity or company, not even 99.9. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't be one out of 100, you wouldn't be one out of 1,000. If you had one conversation with a new prospect every day, you'd be more like one out of five or 10,000. Mm-hmm. That's how rarefied air you would be. Mm-hmm. So how do you get people to do that? Motivation. And the challenge with the delayed gratification, work really hard for a couple of years, the payoffs will be on the backside of the hill. Most people didn't believe in that. Mm-hmm. And so they didn't do the work. And what, they, what it would sound like in coaching them is they would say things like, well, who do I talk to? You know, and I'm exaggerating the wine, which is, you know, them expressing how mentally stuck they are. Yeah. And then, you know, some people bite on that and they spend 
hours, weeks, months teaching people, well, here's who, here's how you find people to talk to. And then that person will just say, well, what do I say to them? And then you might spend months teaching them how to do a presentation, how to talk to them, right? And then that same person will go, well, what do I do if they say no? Yeah. Right? Well, now you're going to have to go into deep therapy and we're going to get you a therapist and build up your self-esteem so it's okay if people say no to you. All of this takes years and nobody sticks around for it. Yeah. Or, no, here's a difference. Instead of paying you on the backside of the hill where maybe you could make 20, 30, 40, $50,000 a month for the rest of your life. What if we just paid you $500 a day? What if we just paid you $500 a day and your job is have one conversation with one person every day. If you ever don't have a conversation with one new person in the day, you're fired. But as long as you just have one conversation, Stacy, you ask, they answer. I'm not saying they say yes, you ask and they answer. One conversation a day, 30 a month, 15,000 a month. Are you clear about the contract? You can't ever miss a day. If it's day 17 and your cat gets sick or you get busy or it's a beautiful day and you want to go surfing or whatever, so sad, too bad because we're patterning ourselves after nature and we don't have any sympathy. If you're conscious, you have to ask one person a day to look at your business, your product, hear your story. If you're on the gurney, you ask the EMT or the nurse. If you're unconscious and you can get that certified, you can have a pass for that day. 15,000 a month. One conversation probably take you 15 minutes. You with me? Mm -hmm. Now, all of you out there listening, under that scenario, who would you talk to? And notice how all of a sudden, something that may require thousands of dollars and months of training becomes like um, anyone, everyone. Yeah, well, that's where we were going to get to after we charged you $5,000 for the training about where to find prospects. We were going to get to anyone, everyone. Uh, well, what do I say to them? Well, we can charge you a lot and come up with a whole lot of scripts and a whole lot of presentations and a whole lot of stuff. Or you could just ask people, hey, would you listen to my story? Mm -hmm. Or, hey, can I show you what I got? You could do that. And then just tell them your story, right? Yeah. And Or tell them about your product. You don't need all that other stuff. And then, you know, what would you do if people said no? You know, whatever, I still get paid. <laughs> right? Notice the attitude difference. Yeah. Yeah. All of a sudden, the salesperson has no issue about where to find prospects, mm -hmm. no issue about what to say to prospects and could care less if prospects reject them. Why? Because they believe the work is worth it. Why? Because they believe in immediate daily pay. Mm -hmm. And so whatever you're doing, you know, I think real estate's a great example, right? Yeah. Realtors, yeah. 
you got to work for two, three, four years. You got to build it up. You got to grind. You're a low person on the totem pole. You get nothing but scraps every month or two. And, you know, people probably rip off your clients left and right. You know, you just get abused and abused as a new realtor. And it probably takes three or four years before you build up a reputation, status, relationships, clients. You know, everybody on the planet knows a realtor. So I'm out there going, I'm a new realtor. Can, can I list your house? Well, you could, except my brother and my sister-in-law and my dog are realtors. And I kind of feel like I should, I'm obligated to let them list it. Same thing with mortgage brokers, right? So you got to work your way up the hill in order to be motivated to do it. You got to believe the work is worth it. You got to have a big vision and a clear understanding of what are the payoffs if I fall in love with doing the work. And then notice how if you believe the work is worth it, is talking to one person a day for $500 a day, is that a grind? Is that a four-letter word? No, it's fun. Yeah. So I want to go back and touch uh, several things you said. I just kind of wrote out a chain. Uh, you said you wanted to deviate from sell without selling, and then you'd come back because you wanted to share the, the secret to success. You know, Richard, the whole foundation of selling without selling is the secret to success because reality is success is 90% mindset, 10% skill set. There is no magic script as to what to say or what to do. It's who you are, how you show up, how you serve, and how you play full out. Your, your secret ingredient about motivation is, is beautiful. And if I may, I'd love to insert a little science in here about motivation. And, and what that is, is, you know, there's, there's two different forms of motivation. There's, there's people who are towards motivated, which means they go towards pleasure. There's people who are away from motivated, which means they go away from pain. And it's really important as a salesperson, as, as a business owner, an entrepreneur, a sales professional, to understand your motivational strategy. Because if you are programmed to go away from pain in the arena of money, in the arena of success, chasing cars and trips and awards is never going to motivate you. It's, it's the whole carrot and the stick foundation. Are you going to pursue the prize or are you going to, to contribute the effort so that you avoid being whipped, so to speak? Yeah. And, and the majority, the majority of business owners, and this is, this is why the statistics in any type of business are, are very detrimental. It's why 97% hardly make it or barely make it or don't make it. And it's because the majority of people are programmed to be away from motivated because what happens when we're growing up, be good or you get punished. Well, that imprints and away from motivation. If I'm not good, then I lose this. If you don't clean your room, I'm going to throw away your toys. Well, if I don't do this, then I'm going to lose this. 
So, so many people are programmed away from motivated that when they become this thing called adulting, and when we get to do this thing called build business, that program presents itself. However, business is built in such a positive manner, pursue success, pursue awards, pursue financial time, money, freedom, whatever. Reality is it's not triggering that away from motivation that you brought up. So it's really important to understand how you're motivated. And if you're building a team, it's uber important to understand the motivational strategy of each of your individuals. Yeah, I mean, you brought up such a great point um, in you know different ways of saying it, but if, if, you're, if you create your motivation from falling in love with what you do, and your own personal core values, your own authentic values, your own vision, as opposed to finding your motivation where in the puppet strings of other people, you know, here's a contest, right? Win the contest. But, you know, when you set yourself up that way, well, if there's a hundred people going for the contest and there's only three winners or 10 winners, you set yourself up to, you know, 90% of the time you're going to lose. And, and for the contest period, let's say the contest period is six months long. Let's say you do win. Mm -hmm. Well, for five months and 29 days, you're a loser until the contest is over and you win the contest. Okay. Now you won the contest, but what about the next six months? Mm -hmm. Another contest. You spend 99.9% .9 of your time a loser. And, and that's if you win every contest. And then of course, <laughs> The puppet strings are the contest rules change and <laughs> right. So recognition, same thing. If you set it up for, you know, I'm motivated by recognition. Well, you put everything's in the control of whoever decides to recognize you and however they decide to recognize you. And if, if you're all about recognition, probably enough is never going to be enough. <laughs> it just doesn't work. What works is Find out why you want to do something for your own reasons and do it for your own reasons yeah. and, and figure out how you can make the work a beautiful word so that you actually enjoy it. So, you know, as somebody said, I don't remember who coined it the first time, success is not a destination, it's a journey. Yeah. And, you know, that's just somebody's opinion because most people don't have it that put together that way they have success as the destination. And, and if success is the destination, you know, I'm going to hit some income level or whatever, some weight loss level. It's not that having goals like that are bad. It's, it's a good thing to have an end game goal. Mm -hmm. But most people give the end game goal and the deadline 99% of the weight. And it really ought to be about 10% of the weight and 90% of the weight ought to be on the goal is to be on the journey. Yeah. What am I going to learn? Who am I going to meet? What am I going to get better at? And yes, I'm going to have failures and setbacks. I'm not going to enjoy those. But how about I respect them? Mm -hmm. And how about I recognize that's where the gold is. That's how I get better. Mm -hmm. So the juice is in the journey. It and is. when you set it up that way, you're successful every day. <laughs> if you set up 
that you're only successful one day every six months or one day a year or one day in the next five years, you're suffering 99.9% .9 of the time as a loser. Mm -hmm. And that's why most people bail, Stacey, right? So, you know, we're talking about a whole process as though everybody's along for the whole ride. They're not. No. 99% of the people pursuing success, they bail. Yeah, they wave the white flag and they give up. Yeah. So, you know, there's something that I really want our listeners to understand. Uh, Richard, you've played a big game. You know, you have done so much in business. You have built large direct sales teams. You've made significant money in direct sales. You've also built brick and mortar businesses and then sold them uh you you've done a lot right so i really I'm, I'm curious for you that that muscle that's used doesn't matter in what industry is it the same or different for you depending on the industry yeah oh, when you were I... building business was it the same muscle the same mindset yeah, it's the same. It doesn't matter what you do. At least that's been my experience. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when, you know, we're, we're in high school, what, what business or profession do we have mastery of? None. Right. When we graduate from college, what success, what business or profession do we have mastery of? None. We have some insights. We have some paint by numbers information, but we don't have any mastery. And so, you know, by the time we're 21, 22 years old, what do we have mastery of? Nothing. Most Our of social us. skills, if, if that, if, if anything, and it's not even that, especially today when everybody communicates via text. Yeah. I mean, so, okay. You know how to do Excel spreadsheets, you know yeah. how to do accounting, <laughs> but that's not mastery. No, right? not at all. No, no mastery. No. Mastery is in the heat of battle. Ma mm -hmm. Mastery is if you're like in finance or accounting or something, you know, mastery is that, um, you know, you have an audit and, you know, if you don't survive the audit, the sale of your company is going to not go through, which is going to cost everybody tens of millions of dollars. Yeah. And you got to find why things don't line up. And, you know, it actually takes attitude. You already have the skill, like mm -hmm. one plus one equals two you know how to do QuickBooks or, you know, whatever the accounting software is. That's mm -hmm. not where the test is. The test is, mm -hmm. can you apply your accounting skills under fire? It's yeah. kind of like, you know, people go to gun ranges and they learn how to shoot a gun, right? I, I can shoot a gun, but every <laughs> cop on the planet will tell you, I don't care how many gun ranges you've been to. I don't care if you know how to load it, shoot it. I don't, know, I don't care if you can hit bullseyes. If you can't hit bullseyes while somebody's shooting live rounds at you, you're a liability. I'll tell you from being. We don't want you to have a gun, yeah. right? So yeah. that's that's what you learn persevering through challenges is yep. you learn how to shoot under fire, yeah. and it doesn't matter what business it is. From, uh, from from my experience in the military, it doesn't matter how well of a sharpshooter you are on those paper targets. You're nothing if uh, if you can't hit anything that's firing back at you. Yeah. 
that's, you know, that's, so, and that's, I don't think that's something you can learn on a video game or it is not. Uh, it is not. somebody can tell you, you know, when somebody's shooting at you, uh, you're going to be under more stress. Than <laughs> you think. Uh, things aren't going to, the, the clock's going to like slow down. I mean, things are going to be a little different and okay. Kind of go blind. No, you know, I don't think, I don't think any of us understand until somebody's actually shooting live yeah. rounds at us. Then, then we get it and we go, yeah. Oh, I think a better strategy than learning how to shoot back is to run and hide. <laughs> so Richard, I have to ask this question. Uh, and I'm, I'm, uh, our listeners don't know this. However, our viewers will. Over your shoulder, you have the book Green Eggs and Ham by Dr. Seuss, and it's propped up. My curiosity has been piqued to the entire podcast. May I ask why that book is vertical? It's one of my favorite books. Well, perhaps not for the reason that most people think, but because mm -hmm. I think uh, I, the reason it's up there is it's it's a primary training tool mm -hmm. that I use in um, teaching people about how to sell. Mm -hmm. um, but not for the reason that you might think at first glance in reading the book where Sam appears to be relentlessly obnoxious <laughs> in his persistence. Mm -hmm. And the reason he appears to be relentlessly obnoxious in his persistence is it's a book and the lesson in the book, you really only have you know, two minutes to get it because that's how long it takes to read the book. Mm -hmm. um, but I use the example of green eggs and ham with people to teach them that when a prospect tells us no, you know, let's say we're, we're selling mortgages. Mm -hmm. And obviously, you're only going to sell a mortgage to somebody who needs a mortgage. You're not going to sell a mortgage to somebody who doesn't need a mortgage. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're not going to sell a home to somebody that is not going to buy a home. That's just not on the radar. Maybe they can't afford it. Right. Sure. So, um, but if you're talking to the right people, you know, somebody doesn't need a mortgage that, you know, just because somebody says no to you today. So let's say, Let's say I'm a, the kind of home buyer that every 15 years, I'm going to have like, you know, three mortgages. Every five years, I'm going to mortgage something. Mm -hmm. So the first day you call me up and say, hey, how about my mortgage? Which I know you wouldn't do it that way, but you get the point. Mm -hmm. You actually have to catch me at the perfect time in my life in my real estate investments, my whatever, the perfect mm -hmm. time for me to say, yeah, you know what? I was just going to Google the best mortgages. Good timing, <laughs> right? So if you don't catch me on the right day, what am I going to tell you? I'm going to say, I don't need a mortgage. Uh, I'm busy. I don't have time. I already got a mortgage broker. Right? I haven't talked to him in seven years, but I already got a mortgage broker. We're going to give you some, uh, you know, I, I think of it like, you know, the what is it? The, the like um, Air Force One has something that if somebody shoots a rocket at it, it shoots out that stuff uh, out yeah. the back, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. The tinfoil or something that gets the attention of the rocket. Deflectors, deflectors. Yeah, the yeah. rockets go and hit that. 
So that's what prospects do when they say, uh, I'm not interested, I don't have time, I can't afford it. Mm -hmm. They just throw that stuff out to sort of fend us off. Yeah. But um, what's, what's not true to somebody say, who says no for a mortgage, what's not true is that they're never going to want a mortgage again anytime in their life. Mm -hmm. That's probably not true. Mm -hmm. What's probably true is they do they will want and need a mortgage at the very least, if not for themselves, they will be in a position to refer someone to get a mortgage. Mm -hmm. Same thing with a home, same thing with a car, same thing with anything anybody's selling. And so what most salespeople do when they hear no, is they have a story that they make up. And the story sounds like, um, this prospect does not like me. They does not, they do not like what I'm selling. They, um, they're not my friend. They're not, they're not good for me. They don't feel good. They're not a contribution to me. They're something I want to resist. Right? So I say, Hey, what about buying my widgets? And you say, no. Physiologically, the first thing a salesperson typically wants to do is push you away. Yeah. Because you are not liking them. You're not loving them. You're, you're not nurturing them. You're, you're offensive, mm -hmm. like Sam. No, Sam, I do not like green eggs and ham. <laughs> right? So notice what Sam does instead of making the Grinch wrong. So Sam doesn't ask, why don't you like green eggs and ham? Sam doesn't say, um, well, you know, green eggs are the most nutritious eggs there are. And the perfect combination <laughs> for green eggs is ham because ham's the other white meat. And mm -hmm. you know that lowers your cholesterol. So actually Grinch, not only are you wrong about not liking green eggs and ham, you're stupid and you should, that's the operative word, should like green eggs and ham and you should buy them from me. So if I could sum up all of the wrong selling, selling by not selling, what's the opposite of that? All the wrong selling. It is salespeople who tell the prospect what they should want instead of asking the prospect what they do want Beautiful. and listening intently mm -hmm. and then coming back at some appropriate time and positioning your product so that it is more inclined to fit with what and when and how they do want. The lesson in green eggs and ham is not Grinch, you're wrong and stupid and this is what you should want. The lesson is, notice how Sam recreates his product, packages it differently. Now he's not asking the Grinch for information, which I wish he would. <laughs> he but that'd be minutes. a longer book, right? Right. What he's doing is say, okay, you don't like green eggs and ham, fine. I'm not offended. I'm not pushing you away. I'm not resisting you. I'm not making you wrong. I'm not making you stupid. Mm 
-hmm. I'm actually going to go into creative mode and mm -hmm. well, what about with a mouse? No. Okay. In real time, let's say a month later. Well, what about in a house? No. A month later. Well, what about with a tree? No. I, and in the dark about underwater right so sam just keeps coming up with different ways to follow up and present his wares until he finds a way that the grinch will try green eggs and ham and then of course we find out he actually likes green eggs and ham so the new way of selling which i've been working on for 35 or my 45 years is to avoid like the plague telling the prospect what they should want, which sounds like I come in guns flaring. This is what my product does. This is how great it is. This is the most amazing. Nobody has a product like this. Best product ever. You're going to love this stuff. Amazing. You got to buy it. You got to buy it today. You want it in red. You want it in blue. You want to pay cash. You want to play credit card. Where do you sign? Right. And if you give me an objection, Oh, I'm going to dismantle you like, you know, you're a Lego set. I'm going to take you apart piece by piece and put you back together again, where you have some semblance of intelligence and you come up with the right answer. So if you say, well, no, I don't have time to do whatever you're asking me to do. You know, I'd say, well, do you have, do you sleep about eight hours a day? This is what I used to do. And they go, well, I guess seven or eight hours. Do you work about eight hours a day? Well, yeah, you know, not including commute. Well, you got 72 hours a week free time. What are you doing with all that? Moron. <laughs> so or what, or what the person is trying to tell me who says I don't have any time, what they're trying to tell me is, hey, I can't even keep up with my life as it is. How right. can I ever take on something else? Right. If we don't hear that, and we don't have deep empathy for it, hmm. and we don't consider it, embrace it, respect it, and let them know what I hear, I hear overwhelm. I hear you can't even keep up with what you're doing now. So I get it. Here I am asking you to do something else, add something else to your plate and you, you're drowning in what you already got going on. Yeah. And that kind of empathy, uh, number one, allows prospects to feel safe and heard and they, they desperately want that. And really it allows us, it allows us to stay in the conversation long enough to be able to come back a week later, a month later, three months later, whenever and say, what about in a house? Mm -hmm. What about with a mouse? Do your underwater. <laughs> Whatever it takes, right? So, so I got to tell you, complete transparency. I figured that was the direction you were going. I love the metaphor. I love Dr. Seuss. Dr. Seuss has so many hidden, deep, deep paradoxal messages in his, in his, children's book which really should be adult books <laughs> yep. yeah so it's kind of like the wizard of oz most people think that's a children's movie it's actually no. one of the greatest personal development books ever written
Agreed. In the, in the 40s, I think. Agreed. So, sir, welcome to the random round. See, I believe that success leaves clues. And I believe that by extracting clues, our listeners can incorporate into themselves things that they're congruent with from our successful guests. So my question to you in the random round is what is your favorite word and why? I'm going to say leadership. Mm. Why? It's the most inspiring state of being to be in the presence of. It's the most important profession that has ever changed the world for good or bad. It is the profession that is missing in changing the world. Amen. It's the highest paid profession. People may not see it as such, but in almost every case, the highest paid people in the world are leading in their own way, in their own domain. Mm -hmm. and, and yet it's rarely taught and rarely given credence and credibility as the greatest profession on the planet. And a way for us to change the world is where we give so much um, weight to algebra or whatever else. What about if leadership was front and center? It was a class, junior high, high school, college, you know, I know there's a few isolated programs that actually give degrees in some form of leadership, but they're really obscure, right. needs to be mainstream. It doesn't matter what industry you're in. Leadership is how you make a difference. And, you know, probably one of the greatest places to look at the missing in our culture is look at our politicians. They're politicians. <laughs> Their agenda is to get reelected. Yeah. And that's all they care about. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what side of the aisle. <laughs> they all have their rationale for it and their story behind it. And we may agree with some values on one side and some values on another. And But just look at the individuals and how they operate. And they are the individuals that are carving out the future for our children. And there's very few leaders in those ranks. Leadership is a servant role. And sometimes as a leader, you have to tell the people that are empowering you to lead the truth as you see it. And if that truth is flavored even a little bit by you getting reelected you're not a servant leader you're uh you're a politician 
Agreed. And, you know, look at business, leadership in business. A um, lot of leadership missing in business and what's there instead is profiteers. So that's my favorite word and that's why. Richard, that was an eloquent, in-depth, beautiful answer. And I, I truly appreciate it. And Richard, it's been amazing, amazing talking with you today. I truly appreciate you coming on the show. What would be our best way for our listeners to connect with you outside? Well, they can find me at richardbrook.com. That's B-R-O-O-K-E. They can email me. I'm old school. I email at rb at richardbrook.com. On social media, I am Richard Bliss Brook, B-L-I-S-S, Richard Bliss Brook. And that really is my middle name. <laughs> and um, that's how people can find me. I'm not hard to find. I love it. It's been fantastic talking with you today. Your success is important to me, and it's also important to me to make sure that these episodes are valuable to you. I would love for you to do a few things right now. I'd love for you to hop over to Instagram and follow us at Pivot Point Advantage. That's hop over to Instagram and follow us at Pivot Point Advantage. Second, I'd love it if you'd head over to Facebook and join our Sell Without Selling community. That's head over to Facebook and join our Sell Without Selling community. We have an immense amount of interaction on both platforms. We also share different information on both platforms. So we look forward to seeing you there. Last and definitely not least, I love to chat with you, give feedback on the episodes, and find out any topics that you're interested in to help make this podcast more powerful and helpful to you achieving the success you've always dreamed of, desired, and deserved. Head over to pivotpointadvantage.com slash talk to Stacy. That's pivotpointadvantage.com slash talk to Stacy. Let's get a 15-minute call on the schedule. I look forward to getting to know you. Always remember this, choice is a powerful thing and suffering is always optional. Get out of your way so that you can get on your way so you can finally have your way. Thanks so much for listening and I look forward to talking with you soon. Whether it's mastering your mindset, communication or success, we have more ways to keep you on your journey to greatness. Be sure to visit us at pivotpointadvantage.com for exclusive online training programs, success-specific courses, and more ways to connect to Stacy directly to help you achieve the financial success you've always desired, dreamed, and deserved. That's all available on pivotpointadvantage.com.